to be continually focusing on Christ. Have you noticed that? Like every verse is just packed with it. Every sentence, every word. And you know, we can't go wrong when we study the person and work of Christ. Can't go wrong there at all, you know, when you uh, when you look at who he is uh, uh, biblically. And he, of course, I think is the well, absolutely, is the very focus uh, of the Bible. That's what the Bible loves us. What else would we want, right? What else would you rather be doing uh, than looking upon the great person and work of Christ? Where else would you rather be than being looking at the supreme Savior? The very deity, supremacy of Christ as we uh, look at God's Word. I mean, it, it's tremendous. And I think Colossians has already emphasized the deity of Christ uh, rather well, as a matter of fact. And uh, in chapter 2, verse 9, which is around the area where we closed off last week, was, For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. That is incredible. And that's about as good as anything you'll see about the deity of Christ. And so it's a high statement um, that was made there and throughout this Colossians, throughout the rest of the Scripture. And we want to make much of Christ, don't we? Because the Bible does. And we try to make much of Christ as we possibly can because of the Word and the Holy Spirit. And and we're getting to do that week after week, especially as we look at this verse by verse and as we move on through the, the chapters of Colossians. Short book, but it is power-packed. A marvelous letter. And so I think it's quite a privilege that we get to kind of camp out in this section and take advantage of it uh, that is meditating on this beautiful one, this beautiful Jesus that we just sing about. He's the image of the invisible God, Colossians says. And I'll just give you a few of these that come right out of Colossians. This is what we've studied so far. might sound pretty familiar. He's the image, image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the creator, the sustainer, the head of the church, the firstborn of the dead, all the fullness of God dwelling in Him bodily. He is the hope of glory in whom are hidden all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge. He's the head over all rule and authority. You want any more? (laughs) I mean, that's amazing. Just that. That's just some things that we've seen so far. That's what Colossians is presenting. And you know what my uh, word is for that? Wow. A high, high view of Christ. And I think if that doesn't excite us, I don't know what will. You know, He's the very author and creator, the sustainer, and all those things that uh, that He is and He does for us. How much more can we take? You know, that's, wait, hang on. You know, this is this is so much. I'm trying to bring this in, but uh, we think on that verse ten that we closed off with last week, and in Him, after we've seen that He's deity, and in Him, you have been made complete. And He is the head over all rule authority. In Him. And those are key words there. In Him. Because you'll see it there in verse 10. And as you drop on down a little bit further, and in verse 11, and in Him you were also circumcised. Verse 12, having been buried with Him in baptism, we were raised up with Him, as it says in verse 12, and in verse 13, He made you alive together with Him. Alive. Together. We're truly alive. With Christ. Together with Christ. In Him. He is the perfect one. I think that should make us marvel and be in awe. Not only of who He is, but what He's done. And look where He has put us. And so Paul is really emphasizing that. Just in case you kind of miss those as we go through there today, you might want to underline those if you do that with your Bible. Some do and some don't. But in Him, in Him, with Him. Boy, that should just stick out as we read through there. Now what... This section is going to do today, it's going to take us from death to triumph. From one extreme to another in just a few short verses. And that's what we'll see in this context. And you know what? That should remind us that we really should be content as we realize our fullness 
Because that's where we left off last week. And in Him, you have been made complete. Awful easy to forget about that during the week. We forget about that. We've been made complete in Him, in Christ. So, good one to be thinking on each day. You should be content realizing the very fullness of the person of Christ. Who is God? He is God. We're not, but He is residing in us and we have Him fully. Uh, That's just an incredible thought. I mean, it finally just goes into a mystery. I mean, how far can you take that thought? But I do want to tell you what He does is He takes that and He contrasts that with the rest of the world and some of the false teachings that they were encountering there in Colossae. And a couple of words that he used was empty deception. Then he comes back on the other side and all the fullness is in him. Empty, full. You can't go from one extreme to another any better than that. Empty world. Empty deception. Empty religions. Full. Fullness of Christ. He is full deity and He fills us with His life. Incredible thought. We are alive together with Him. Are you guys alive now? Right? Let's stand then. As we are alive, we're going to show that we're alive because we can stand up, most of us. Not too good. Verse 11. And in Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When He had disarmed the rulers and authorities, He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Him. Father, thank You for Your Word. And how much a treasure is in this. And I'm in fear and I'm trembling as I realize that this is Your Holy Word. Help me to treat this correctly and right that it would come off of the page and jump into our spiritual lives and make us realize even more thoroughly who Christ is in us and what He's done. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Alright, this is a great text. I, I just pray that I can treat it even something similar to the way it needs to be. It uh, There's so much here. There's been a dramatic change to every one of you that are Christians. I mean, a dramatic change. You know, we were talking about the emptiness and then the fullness. That's what happened. You went from being empty immediately, you went to fullness. And you're still full today, Christ in you. A dramatic change. We've gone from spiritual death to life. That right there, if nothing else went our way, (laughs) that in itself is the best thing that could ever happen to us. I mean, that is tremendous. Paul is going to use two illustrations, uh, one in verse 11 and then one in verse 12. And it's pretty easy to pick out as you kind of um, maybe uh, pick a part of Scripture. You look for certain key terms, and this is pretty easy. As he talks about the fullness of Christ and His deity and we are in Him and such, then he says, okay, here's, here's what happened to you. He tries to give you something in an earthly way. You know how Jesus used parables and Paul's using illustrations and uh, analogies for us to try to get some kind of handle. Uh, it was that you were like circumcised. That's one way that he puts it. Uh, and the Colossian false teachers, you remember, some of them uh, are coming in uh, using Gnostic type heresies and also there's Judaizers in those days. And so uh, if there were very many Jews there, and, and most of Colossae was Gentile, 
uh, but let's say there's some Jews, they would definitely know circumcision. Uh, so anyway, if you tie that with a Gnostic heresy, you've got all sorts of things coming in. And it was threatening Colossae. Paul is warning to watch out. So it seems there's all kinds of wars on all fronts. Everywhere he looks around, it's Judaizers, and here is the uh, Greek philosophies, and everything is coming your way in different uh, packages, and even looks good. And Paul is here defending the gospel. In, in every way that he turns around, he has to be defending it. And so it is today, isn't it? We have to be defending that gospel because there's all sorts of attacks on it. Um, so uh, that's what we're looking at. Now, when he mentions circumcision, it's a circumcision made without hands. So there's a spiritual aspect is really what he's getting to. But let's first just back up a little bit and uh, get uh, a brief... Old Testament view of this. In Genesis chapter 17, a covenant is made, a covenant is made from God, by God, to Abram. And as he says in Genesis 17 at verse 10, he says, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you, and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. This should be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And then he goes on. He talks about every male who's eight days old should be circumcised throughout your generations. We know that that continued. Continue all the way up even into the time of Christ and it still continues today. Uh, it uh, is uh, a ritual that, that was practiced, but it was actually meant more by God than to be just a ritual. Uh, it is something that is a sign that was given to Abraham who was already a believer. The circumcision didn't make him a believer. Um, it didn't start until him. But he already had faith. And if you back up and look in Genesis 15, you'll find out that um, faith was accredited to him. He believed in God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. So we, we know that he's already a believer when this happens. But he's the father, he's the progenitor of the Jewish race, and as it continues on, all the males are to be circumcised. And it's an outward symbol of what really is to take place inwardly, an inward reality. All males would have a small portion of flesh cut away on the eighth day after their birth. That's what the Genesis 15 just brought forth. Now, there's two views that the Jews had of that. And one of them went awry. Uh, went south, uh, unfortunately. And what much of the Jewish people believed was that you're born into this people, you're born into this nation, and you are circumcised, at least the, the, the boys were, and that was enough to save. That's what they believed. You were born in that, and as long as you were circumcised, then from there on out, you are considered to be righteous. You're in God's family. Because of that. Hmm. Well, that is wrong, isn't it? That is seriously wrong. That is uh, salvation by works. Or just being in a particular family or whatever. Well, this has transferred into our times. There are people that, uh, maybe not the circumcision, of course he's going to use baptism here in a moment, but um, the idea of people, you know, if, if they've been baptized in a church, and, and if you were to ask people, say, well, are you, are you a believer? Oh, well, I certainly am. I'm a Christian. I was born such and such a day. I was born, uh, I was born on this day, and like two weeks later, uh, I was baptized. Or... I, I was baptized uh, whenever I was eight years old. Um, and because of what they did, they considered them to be saved. You, you've heard that probably quite often. There are people that practice particular diets, for instance, all the legalism. There are certain ones that observe holy days. You know, there, there's all sorts of different things that people do to make them feel better about their religion and as long as they've done something, then they're there. Or they they do something a little bit more and that makes them into the spiritual elite, right? Yeah, some of the other ones, they're believers, but I want to be on the upper echelon and so they practice these particular things which is supposed to make them better. They, they are depending on a, a religious ritual to get them to heaven. And so that is one view that was believed by the Jews. And many of them uh, believe that. 
Now there was a second view, and what it did is that it recognized that there was really an outward sign here. It didn't really have anything to do with you spiritually unless you had a believing heart. It demonstrated that you needed cleansing. That you're born sinful and you need a cleansing. So it's a sign, it's a symbol, it's demonstrating that I was, I was really uh, I was a sinner, right? I was wicked and evil. That's how I was born. So the cutting away of the foreskin was a graphic way to demonstrate the need for the cleansing on the deepest level of his being. This physical part of the body produced life And that man, what he is going to always produce is going to be something sinful if he's not a believer, right? That's what it showed. I am sinful. We are sinful. That is our nature. And that would be the biblical view. That's the second view. So some of them had the right view. Others had wrong views of it. Circumcision was a symbol as Paul is really bringing forth here. It's uh, the cleansing of the heart. A desperate need of a cleansing. That's the idea. Now, the deal with the heart, we'll we'll look at a few verses of that and this would be the biblical view. And, And how many times do you see this thought of like circumcision? And that's what Paul uses. We go back to Deuteronomy 10. You go back to the law. We'll just use a few verses here just to show that it's dealing with the heart. Yeah, they were to do that physically, but really there was supposed to be a heart thing happening here. That's the whole point. 10.16 says that so circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. They were stiff-necked people. He says circumcise your heart. Cleanse your heart. Cut off what is wicked and evil and sinful. Right? Um, cleanse that. Look in chapter 30, verse 6. All through the Old Testament, that's really what it meant. You say, well, how did so many people get it wrong? It's a wonder, isn't it? People still get confused. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants. Now here's that song we sing. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. Live. Hey, life, right? Uh, uh, we're alive together. Uh, there he's talking about the heart. Circumcise your heart. And that is how you can love God. When there has been a cleansing in here, now it is possible. Now we can love God. Now we will love God. We will have the desire. Before we were enemies, we didn't want to love God. So there has to be a circumcision here. And that's the spiritual thought. Go to one more. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4. Jeremiah the prophet. Now we're getting out of the law and Moses wrote that Pentateuch, first five books. That was Deuteronomy. Now we're in Jeremiah and we're at chapter 4, verse 4. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and remove the foreskins of your heart. Then he says, or else my wrath will go forth like fire. There will be judgment. Have your heart circumcised. We know that it's God who is the one that does that. But he says, this is what we mean. We're not talking the physical circumcision. Um, if we were to go to one passage in the New Testament, you could go to Romans 4, which is Abraham. Remember, we looked at him with a covenant that God made with him originally about this issue. And in Romans 4.11, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised. Before he was circumcised, what did he have? Faith. So that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. That righteousness might be credited to them. So they were to do that as a matter of obedience, but really what it comes down to, they were to live their lives in faith. Uh, all of the people of Israel. Outward sign of uh, a heart that is already made right. So who are the uncircumcised in heart? The unbelievers. Might have been circumcised on the physical element, but not uh, in the spiritual way. It's the sinful nature that is cut away. One more passage. Romans 6, verse 6.
Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified, and we'll be talking about that in a moment, that our body of sin might be done away with. It's the whole fleshliness of us, our humanness, the, the sin that we so much are tempted by. Cut that away. There again, that's an idea of a circumcising. The old self was crucified at the cross. Did you catch that? I'm going to touch that on for a moment. What happened? What happened to us? I, I can think of 2 Corinthians 5.17. How did this happen? How, how do we get this? It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. That means you're out of death into life. This is old. This is new. The old has passed away. The old is gone. The old nature is dead. That's what we're kind of hitting on here as we talk about circumcised, as we talk about baptized. Um, God takes away the old nature. You have a new nature. The problem is the new nature is in an old body. That is a problem. My new nature wants to obey God, Romans 7 says. But Romans 7 also says that in my members, in my flesh, in my humanness, it doesn't want to obey God. He wants to do things that are contrary. It says in Romans 6.23, "...in my members warring against the law and bringing me into the captivity to the law of sin, which is in what? My members," he says. The law of God is in my what? My mind. I love the law of God. but And that's my new nature. But my flesh, this part of me that wants to do everything that's opposite of God. There's a war going on with us. Why do we still sin if I'm a new person? I don't understand that. He gave me a new nature, so therefore I should never sin again, right? We don't want to sin. Romans 7, Paul brings that out. The new nature is in me because the new nature is in you also because we've been purified. We have been cleansed. But the body's in a mess. The fleshly part of us. I'm not saying that the body is bad. This is a tool that can be used for good or bad. I'm saying in the members of us. God promised a new heart. That's what He gave us. He gave us a new heart. That's the covenant promise that you'll see not only to Abraham, but then it was reiterated and brought forth through the prophets. And by the time you get into Jeremiah 31, it talks about that new heart. Or in chapter 36, 37 of Ezekiel, we are new. You don't need an outward sign of circumcision anymore. That really is... uh, been done. That's that's over. You don't have to be into that. And that's why the early church had to counter that so often. Paul uh, did constantly. Um, we, I think it was in Philippians. I think we studied that fact not too many months ago. We are the true circumcision. We are the true circumcision, Paul says, who worship God and put no confidence in the flesh. Ah, We are the true circumcision. Anybody who is a believer. Now, that is the circumcision part. And then he says in verse 12, he gives us another illustration to show here's what happened to you. You know, you're supposed to have your heart and have all that stuff cut off that is is bad. And you have a new heart. Verse 12, he says, okay, uh, look at it this way. Having been buried with Him in baptism in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. That's a powerful verse there. And I know the first thing your mind is going to be jumping to is you're going to think of a water baptism. And even though that can be a good picture of this, he's still not thinking of anything physical, to be honest with you. 
Circumcision is a, uh, is a physical thing. Baptism is a physical thing when you think of water, right? But he's relating this already. We've already known he set it up for a spiritual thing. Here is a spiritual baptism. Do we believe in baptism physically in water? Well, absolutely. We know that's a sign of it. But he's, don't get hung up on the water here as we really first look at this, having been buried with him in baptism. It's not baptismal regeneration. And the reason I say that, there are many who are in the body of Christ, who are believers like us, but they believe differently in that once that baby has been baptized, now listen to me, there are, they are regenerated. Now there are baby baptisms, but they don't necessarily believe in a baptism or regeneration. Right now I'm focusing just for a moment of a baptismal regeneration. The baby is now considered to be a believer. Just like the Jews were saying whenever as soon as the, that boy got circumcised at eight days old, he was now in this covenant and he was a believer and for the rest of his life, no matter what. Well, that's, that's not true. Uh, and Paul wouldn't be bringing that on. Do you, you think he would get rid of one ceremony just to bring in another one that would you know, confuse people again? There's a spiritual reality in verse 11. There's a spiritual reality in verse 12. And so he would never say the change from spiritual death to spiritual life is done by water. Paul is, is definitely not saying that. That would make him a ritualist. And Paul is not a ritualist, is he? Um, he, he condemns just ritualism in, in itself. And then you're going to say, well, what is he talking about when he says baptism here? It is... Is uh, is water? Does it have anything to play with being a Christian? Well, yeah. We know that it shows the picture of the union of a believer with Christ. Um, but the idea of baptism is to be identified with. We are baptized into Christ. As soon as you become a believer, you have been baptized into Christ. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll see how Paul uses that on a... A couple occasions or so. First Corinthians 10. And he's talking about Moses here. And the children in the wilderness, I do believe. In the first couple of verses. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all baptized through the sea. Remember Moses, the Red Sea, the deliverance from Pharaoh and such. And all were, what? Baptized into Moses. Now, what kind of theology is that, right? Baptized into Moses. The Moses baptism? They were identified with Moses. As Moses was leading them, they were, it was like they were all as one as they were with Moses as they went into in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock, and of course the rock is Christ. And ultimately, and we know we're identified with Christ, but this is an identification with Moses, who is identified as being their leader, and he is identified with God, as, as he's kind of like their prophet, priest, and king. He's like all those wrapped together. So, identification there. Uh, look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and again, that word baptized will be brought forth again. There it's dealing with gifts and we're all one and uh, there's unity and diversity. And then verse 13, for by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Again, we're not talking about water. We're not against water, but here it's, this is what happened when you become a Christian, you're baptized into the body of Christ. Whether Jews or Greek, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. There's one Spirit. There's one body. We are all in that. And so we're identified uh, again. And then you get your famous Romans 6 is uh, where we were at earlier. Romans 6, verse 3 and 4. A great picture here. Actually, the text here in Romans 6 is again another dry baptism, although it, it is used as a picture of what happened to us. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death. Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness 
of life. Same kind of illustration that uh, Colossians is bringing uh, to us here. Wow. So you're placed into Christ. And, and to the early church, being placed into Christ was the same terminology as being baptized in the water because it all happened almost the same time and this is really what happened. And so whenever they talk about baptism, they'd think of water, they'd think of um, you know, what happened to being placed into the body of Christ. It was all one. And really, I think that's, that's a good way to, to look at it. Um, we don't want to separate the water too much from it, but we, we're not saved by water whatsoever. It has nothing to do with being saved. We know that. Uh, so it's a synonymous term. Now, whatever, what really happens to us here? We're talking about death, burial, resurrection with Christ. Whatever happened to Christ, I want you to think on this for a moment. Whatever happened to Christ also happened to us. That's rather profound. You know, I know these pictures illustrated this probably might have read them a million times. But every time you think about it, somehow, some way, we were placed into that what happened at the cross. And I, I can't put it in human terms of how that happens. It's kind of mysterious. But it's as if you go right back to the cross and you're hanging there on the cross with Him. And remember, God is not bound by time. Of course, we are. We know literally, did we go back there? I mean, when did that? we weren't even born at the time. How could we have been there on the cross with Him? But it's, it's like God propelled you back 2,000 years ago and in history. And Him being timeless can do that. And He slams us right onto the cross with Christ. With all of our sin there. That's the idea. As it's being placed on Him. As He's being identified with us, we're being identified with Him, and He's identified with us in that He is uh, human, and God is taking our sins. You died there. You died there at the cross. You were buried with Him there at the cross. And on the third day, you were raised up with Him. You came out of the grave with Christ. How in the world can my mind even wrap around that? And I really, I really can't. I, I can't tell you what all that means, but it's like we were placed there. We're so identified with Christ because of the faith that He's given that we were at His death. Uh, that's uh, quite remarkable. We we were at his burial. We were at his resurrection. That's a tremendous truth because it shows that it's real. This was an operation of God. This, this is the idea. Verse twelve says. I know it sounds strange to say, Dennis, are you teaching some kind of strange stuff here? Well, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. Now, I can't say, hey, there's, I, I've had a vision. I, I saw myself. I can tell you what clothes I was wearing that day. <laughs> but somehow, spiritually, somehow, as far as God is concerned, there was so much of a death of Christ and all of our sins were placed on Him. We died. The idea that we're trying to get across here today is that circumcision means to be cut off, to be put away. It's done. It's cleansed. Um, baptism is something where you you died to the old life. The old life is dead. The, the, old, um, the old nature. Some people will teach that we have an old nature and a new nature. Now we have two contradictory kind of spiritual things going on. Yes, we have a spiritual battle, but our old nature, it says here that has died. Paul continually presents that forth. People, they say, well, what's going on? Well, the Romans 7 many other places will show that uh, in our humanness, in our the members of our body, the flesh, the incarcerating flesh that we have is our problem. God operated... Um, baptized in the body of Christ. I think we read that in 1 Corinthians 12. Through faith in the working of God. He gives us the faith. Throws out the lifeline to us. We have the faith. And because of that, the working of God caused all these things. Uh, amazing. 
All is done by the operation of God. Do you have that word working or operation in your text there? The word is energeia. We get our word energy. This happened by the amazing energy or power of God that transformed our lives. We have the faith because He grants that to us. And then all those things that happen that I can't even bring out in a very understandable way, whatever happened to us, we died. But we became new. You are a new person. That old man is not you anymore. Wow. Quite incredible. He raised us from the dead. We've been raised. We have new life. How many times can sin kill us? Once. Sure tempts us. And yes, we yield to it at times. That's why Romans 6 comes along and says, hey, knowing all this, now, you know this, reckon, think about it, and then yield to it as you live your daily life with the power of the Holy Spirit that you now have. You now have the capability to serve Christ and be obedient. Now you can do that with that new life that you have. But the old life is going to be over here and it's going to be saying, no, 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 you don't want to do that. You don't want to do anything with Christ. Remember, you've already died. You were crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ, therefore it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is a wonderful truth. Doesn't this kind of like bring kind of like a freedom to you of realizing that I'm not bound by my old man anymore. I don't have to drag him along. He's dead. I'm not... Now, there is a killing that we're to do in sanctification. And we are looking at what happened to us, though. We're looking at this morning our position. And because of the position, now we can do that. Nevertheless, I live. I died once. I rose from the dead. Sin has no claim on me. I don't have to obey sin. I don't have to obey Satan anymore. I died in Christ. I arose and I am new. I keep repeating that, but it is so easy to forget that. And that's why this this text, I think, is so important to, to get. You have no need of external circumcision. You've already received the true circumcision of your heart. The whole sinful nature has been cut away. You've been resurrected with Him and all the power of God. When you, when you believe, you trust in Him. All the power of God came to you. It is done. It is complete. You are complete in Christ. It's been done. Now, let's move on to the next section, part 2. Colossians 2, verse 13. The working of God who raised Him from the dead. That's what the kind of power that it took to get us to having been crucified on the cross and then buried and then rose again. That same power that brought us up was the, the power of the resurrection from Christ. Now, what he does, he goes back now and he's going to take it back in your past. Verse 13. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's already talked about it. Okay, you were dead in your sin, Right? Now we're talking, there's a death there, but this is the, the spiritual death before anything ever happened. This is a spiritual death. Uh, unbelievers exist in a sphere uh, or realm called spiritual death. They're walking. They're walking dead people, right? That's what we were. They are dead spiritually. They have no sense um, to be able to respond to anything spiritually, to God. Dead in the... Transgressions and the uncircumcision. Look in Ephesians chapter two, verse one. So Paul says in Colossians and in Philippians or Ephesians, he will say something very similar. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. First, then when you were put on the cross with Christ, now that one is the one that was dead spiritually. Now, that man is put away. He's put away. That nature is done. Nature is done. 
when, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, there we go, children of wrath, even as the rest. All the other ones are. That's the position that we were in. We were so dead spiritually. If you get this doctrine right, everything else falls into place. But people have such a hard time of understanding that they were dead spiritually, they couldn't respond to anything of spiritual truth. So they were dead, or Paul says, he gives another illustration, uncircumcised in their what? in their flesh. Uncircumcised. So he uses that kind of thought again. Um, To the Gentiles, they were the uncircumcision of the flesh in the physical sense. Um, There were the Jews who were circumcised physically. Then you have the ones who are the uncircumcised, and that's all the Gentiles. Well, as Paul writes to the Colossians here, they are the ones who are uncircumcised. And they um, are given a description uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. This is where we were at at one time. If you're not Jews, you didn't, you didn't have the promises and the hope. You didn't have the Scriptures and such. And of course, the Gentiles were far away. They were aliens. And so Paul in this great section says, Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, like, like you really are, okay, who are called uncircumcision, by the so-called circumcision, the so-called the Jews called them the uncircumcision, among other things, dogs, <laughs> which is performed in the flesh by human hands. See there again, he's saying that that's the physical thing here. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now they have hope. They were totally without hope. It's, it's bad enough to be a Jew who's not a believer. You're in the same boat. But if you're outside that, then you don't even have any kind of hope whatsoever. You have no revelation of God. You didn't have the Scriptures until Christ. I mean, there, there were probably a, a few who had been converted, but as a whole, Gentiles were outside the promises. And, you know, if we would have been living back at that time, we would have too. No access to God's Word. How would you like to have been in that situation? And not knowing anything about it. No hope. Wow. Doubly serious, but the thing is, they're all dead either way. But the Colossians, uh, he says that um, they were dead in their sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh and you're outside all those promises. And it's Christ who comes in and causes spiritual surgery. He does the surgery on us. So all of us were dead. Dead can't respond. And so while we were dead and we can't even we can't even reach for a rope <laughs> or whatever. You know, we're hanging off a cliff or down there at the bottom. No, we can't even do that because we're dead. And so what does that mean? He has to do all the work. That's true. That's the idea. That's why in Ephesians 2 you'll see. But God being rich in mercy. Talks about His grace there, right? While we were dead, then He raised us up. Ah, Paul is consistent, isn't he? As he moves through Colossians. should be clicking even more. Dead men are utterly despicable and they're dominated by sin. They have no hope and they're powerless to bring to themselves life. A dead person can't bring himself to life in a physical sense. And in a moment's time, just like that, that dead person is resurrected to life. Wow. God somehow makes him die on the cross, buries him, brings him back uh, to a spiritual life. And that's why Ephesians 2.5 says this. God's Word, let it speak to us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By the way, by grace, you have been saved. And then you read on further and you find out... Uh, oh, well, just keep reading. 
and raised us up with Him, seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's where we are at. We are aliens here. We're walking around here physically in these bodies in a place where sometimes Christians are not always welcome and their views are not welcome, but we are really, in another sense, seated in heavenly places. That's another one of those things, just like going back to the cross and dying and being buried and and, and, and rising. He didn't stop with that. He just made us just go on up with Him. And in another sense, we are seated with Him in the heavenly places. And Colossians will follow with that later on in chapter 3. Wow. I think that is amazing. I like verse 7. So that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The surpassing riches. What a God. So we were dead just like everybody else was and by grace, by His sovereign grace, He brought us out of that. It was the working of God who raised us up from the dead We were dead and we now have been made alive together with Him. As verse 13 says, as Ephesians says, we're alive together. And you have to like this last phrase. Having forgiven us all our transgressions. Think on that for a moment. God has forgiven us all our sins. How many? All. How many? All. Well, yeah, passed. Yeah, I can see that because I died to Christ. But hey, I can sin today. How about the future? But it says here, people people will really worry about that. Sometimes they'll even base it on their salvation. Yeah, he died for those. But if I do some sin and I don't confess it, then you know what? I will lose my salvation. Wouldn't that be terrible? Because every day we have sin we don't even know about. That we don't even confess. And I'm not granting that, hey, let's go out and sin because we can do that because we're believers. Romans 6 addresses that. (laughs) May it never be. Don't do that. A believer is not going to want to sin. But, what's happening there? What's happening? He forgave all of our sins. All our transgressions. That's why we are secure in Christ. Because the work has been done by Him. If it was our working, we would blow it every time. We were not only delivered from death, but something even better. We were forgiven. See, humans have a problem called guilt. And if you're not in Christ, you really can't get rid of guilt. You can cover it up all you want. But guilt can really get at one. Now, some people finally get so hardened that they don't feel it anymore. How would you like to be in that condition? But guilt is a good thing because it shows us where we're at. But we don't have that tyranny of guilt hanging over us anymore. Yes, we should uh, be convicted of our sins and desire to have that forgiven. But as far as salvation is concerned, it's been removed That is a wonderful thought. I can stand here today. You guys can sit here and stand here and proclaim that there is forgiveness of sin that's been done and it's over. It was once forever. And there are many passages that deal with that. What happened is that we have escaped that pull of gravity that is always on the dead spiritually. That pull of gravity. That's why guilt wreaks such havoc and people destroy themselves. We have been set free. We're not under that kind of law anymore. Look in Psalm 32.1. Just a few verses here that can, I think, encourage us a whole lot. 32 verse 1. David says, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed, how blessed we are. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Of course, he goes on to say, if you have sin in your lives, if you're a believer, which 
that can happen, right? Uh, then we go confess it. And that's exactly what David does here. He says, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. David was a believer at that time. But for a year, things got worse in his life and it affected him spiritually and mentally and, and physically until he confessed to sin. He was confronted with it by the prophet. and But he knew that God is the one who takes the sin away. Go to Psalm 130, verse 3 and 4. Psalm 130, verse 3 and 4. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities... Look at this. Oh, Lord, who could stand? If you kept track of our record of our sin, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. We fear God. We reverence Him. We're in awe of Him. We are amazed by Him because He's forgiven us. Right now, we're probably doing that. Right? Look at Micah chapter seven, verse eighteen. It's after the major prophets. You get into the minor prophets. Micah's after Jonah. If you find Jonah, Joel, Amos, those. then you have Micah. Micah chapter seven, verse eighteen. You've probably heard this many times. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passed over the rebellious act of the remnant of His possession? He does not retain His anger forever because He delights in unchanging love. He delights in that. Look in verse 19. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the seas. Of course, everybody's familiar with as far as the east is from the west, our sins are blown away. Boy, boy, is that incredible. Then I have to think, in Ephesians 1, you know, it talks about our position. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. There is a total, complete forgiveness that is already settled. The highest court in the universe is where? In heaven. It's God. He is the highest court. And if God has forgiven me, the only thing that would justify my holding myself guilty for my sins would be a higher authority than God. And I guess that would be me, wouldn't it? Am I higher than God? Well, if God says this and we are truly His, your sin is forgiven. Cast away forever. That's our position. Do we have unforgiven sin? Not according to those passages. But we are to confess our sin. And I know that sounds opposite, but that's our walk as our walk goes. But positionally, you know, all that, that death, burial, resurrection, and uh, sitting at the right hand of, or sitting with Christ in the heavenlies and such, oh boy, and, and then to know that we're all forgiven. You know what Paul does? He illustrates this now. He says, okay, uh, how can I give you a picture here? How can I give you a word picture to understand this? Uh, this is hard to grasp. It's still hard to grasp for people today. Christians have a hard time just saying, well, how can He forgive everything when we, when we sin? Verse 14, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He goes right back to the cross again. He uses a couple of uh, illustrations, a couple of words here, pictures. Chirographos. Graph, uh, dealing with writing, to write. It's uh, really the idea of something written by hand. Autograph, right? Autograph. It referred to the certificate of indebtedness that was handwritten by the debtor. The debtor admits 
that he has a debt with somebody. He has a certificate and he hands that to him. He's acknowledging his debt. Well, that's what happened to us. When we come confessing our sin, we're acknowledging our debt to the debt, you know, the debtor, right? It was an IOU. That's even better to understand. Do we do IOUs anymore? Uh, That's a, a signed confession of a debt. We owe God a mass of debt, and that debt, He said, that's going to take eternity for that to be paid by you. There's only, that means it never get paid. That's right. You ever had any debts that you thought you'd never get paid? <laughs> You've been paying them for years, and it seems like you'd never get them paid. Well, this debt has been paid. He took care of it. Otherwise, it would have gone on for eternity because nobody can ever pay for all that sin nature. They can never pay back. And it says here it was against us because of our sin breaking the law. It it was a debt consisting of decrees against us. And God said that's right. It's righteous. And it says it was hostile to us. That means there was going to be condemnation with that. A massive debt that will condemn us. The autograph was blotted out. That's, that's a thought there. Canceled out. It means to be wiped off of something. Uh, wiped off like erasing a board. You know, a, a blackboard. Erasing that. Or, you know, the boards that, uh, you know, the slicker, what do they call those? You know, and you have the dry marks or whatever. You, know, you just wipe that off. And that's, that's the idea of it there. Canceled out. He uh, canceled out the certificate of debt. He wiped it off. It's not there anymore. To um, people in the time of Paul, they wrote on vellum uh, or papyrus. And they would use uh, an ink on there that would not sink in and it was meant to be used again. They would write on it, but they wanted to make sure that they could wipe it off because this stuff was hard to get. It was precious. So they would use it for that time being and then they were able to wipe it off and then use it again. And so that's the idea of wiped out or canceled out. That's what happened to us. That death that we had. Uh, It would be like wiped off with a sponge and the scribe says, I'm going to erase this. It's forever gone. Decrees against us, you think of the law, the Mosaic law, all the parts in there, all violate the law. Decrees against us. Hostile to us. In Galatians 3.10 it says it condemns us in judgment. And then he comes back and says, having taken it out of the way. So he wiped it off, he took it out of the way, kind of the same thought here, and then nailed it to the cross. And we know probably about that. The criminals of that day uh, that were um, like the Jewish people would be nailed on the cross. Of course, Jesus was. We know about that. And as they would be crucified, they would have a board up there of some kind showing why He was being crucified. What His crime was. There it is. It's written for all to see. Or our sins were put onto Christ's account, transferred from us, put to His account, were seen by God the Father. Christ paid in full our penalty as He died there because He had no sin. He was the perfect one. But He took our sin on a painful thing physically, but even spiritually even more because as He died on the cross there, our sins are on Him. If it was just one of us, that would be tremendous. Can you imagine all of our sins in this room on Him? Past, present, future. And then extend on out to the rest of the church. And then for all the thousands of years of all believers. And their sins are being paid for. And God is satisfied with what has been done by Christ. He is fully satisfied. Nobody else can do anything to satisfy God. Only Christ. That was done there. That's why He can say your sins are cast away. It was done at the cross. 
Yes, we became believers in time and that happened. As far as God is concerned, that happened there. As far as He's concerned, we died with Christ and rose again. Pretty far over the head, isn't it? God understands all that. I'm glad of that. But I'm so thankful for this forgiveness. And He's a just God. He didn't have to do that. He could have withheld His mercy, but He gave us mercy and grace. And God is satisfied. And that's why He can be just and yet forgive at the same time. And we close this out here. I think this is rather incredible. We've gone from death to triumph. Look at this. When He had disarmed the rulers and authorities. He made a public display of them. Theatrics was done. Having triumphed over them through Him, He stripped Satan. All his I said, well, Satan is alive and well on this earth. Yes, He absolutely is. <laughs> In time and space, that is happening. But... It, Christ will come back with the title deed. He owns all of us. Satan and the the enemies uh, were given dominion that Adam and Eve were to have. And we still have some dominion over the plants and animals and such, but the prince of the power of the air, the, the ruler of this age, you move on and on, you find all those texts that he's still doing his thing. That is Satan. That is our enemy. Ephesians 6 talks about that. My goodness, we cannot eliminate that. We we know that we have spiritual warfare. But all of the power that Satan really had was already done. Christ will show that that's done when He comes back. But whenever this happened, whenever He ascended into the heavens, uh, if you look in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, the Hebrew writer is going to support what Paul just said there. Try to uh, build on this. 2.14 says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood these bodies, He Himself likewise also partook of the same. Jesus had this body. That through death He might render powerless Him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Hmm. Triumph. Redemption public display. He he decimated the power of the enemy at the cross. When he died, he spoiled all the principalities and powers that were evil. He made a public demonstration of it. People didn't see this, but he triumphed over them. That happened. Where is it that Jesus bruised the head of Satan? The cross of Christ. You know, some people saw Him dying on the cross, but He took Him there. He broke the power there at the cross. He took away the power of death. Oh, death, where is thy sting, right? Uh, So Christ is suspended on the cross. No doubt the demons were having the time of their lives. They were just having a carnival. Man, they were having a blast. They're seeing Him hanging there, bound hand and foot. All the weakness that Jesus was in at that time. It looked like defeat. looked like it was all over. And you know what? They thought He was the victim. And this is where the triumph happened. How wrong they were. He mastered them in His death. And there's the triumph. And we'll close this out. When He had disarmed the rulers and authorities, He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Him. There's our victory. There's our victory. We might think we have a lot of defeats in this life, but I want to tell you, we have victory. Ultimately, it's all in this. Whenever a Roman general won a great victory in war, in his battle, on foreign soil, they would have some captives. They would take the spoil, the silver, the gold. If you could get a hold of the king and still being alive, you could uh, make all sorts of uh, things with him and make fun of him and and uh, just um, get him to the, almost the point of death. 
but you want to keep him for the parade that's going to happen when you hit Rome, for instance. You hit Rome, they would make this thing a two-day event, maybe three days. I mean, they would just go on and on with it. So they bring in the the chariots that they had captured and the wagons and all of theirs. And they, they would take the statues of the enemy, the pictures, the images. They'd take that all from the enemy, the silver vessels, the gold vessels, take them out of their, their temples and, and such. Then came the king's servants as they would be marching in this parade. And then the, the children of them. Then came the king, followed by the prisoners. Finally came the general who had been victorious over it all. The people have been waiting for this and all the people would be dressed up in white. Man, what an occasion it would be at this great victory parade. And it would go on and on and on. Finally, there is the general who is victorious. All that other stuff. They would see the captives that they had taken and all the spoil. Jesus did this when He disarmed the rulers and the authorities. All their power was taken. and uh, Christ has conquered them already. And then in Romans 8, 37-39, He says we are more than conquerors. We are over-conquerors. It goes way beyond just having a victory. This is the ultimate victory in Christ. God canceled our debt defeated Satan and all the fallen angels. He's done the job completely. We are alive. Are you alive together with Christ and with all of us today? Are you forgiven? Ah, sounds like a song, doesn't it? I'm alive and forgiven. Delivered from death and sin and Satan, we have victorious, victorious life. We are alive because, just looking at these verses, That is what happened to us. And he says, if that be the case then, why would you go and follow the things of the world, tradition of men, the elementary principles, philosophy, empty deception, when you have all this fullness all the way up into the heavens with Christ? What a beautiful thing that is. I hope that will encourage us a little bit this morning. Let's pray.